This morning, we opened our time together with a psalm of ascent that Matt McCann read. All this year, starting in September, we've been called to worship with these psalms, and we hear them Sunday after Sunday to bring us into gathered worship, and then we're also going to be taking some time this fall sporadically to preach through them. So that's what I'll be doing today, opening up these psalms. Our text this morning is from Psalm 122. But before I even go there, you might be asking, what are the Psalms of Ascent? We should, we should talk about that if we're going to be preaching through them. The Psalms of Ascent are the 15 Psalms from Psalm 120 all the way through 134. If you were an Israelite who worshiped God before the incarnation of Christ, then you would have loved these Psalms three times a year or more. There would be religious festivals in Jerusalem, and these psalms were likely sung, perhaps in order, by the Hebrew pilgrims as they would travel up to Jerusalem on their way to worship. Jerusalem was the highest point in all of Palestine, so if you were traveling to Jerusalem, you were literally ascending as you traveled. So these psalms are road songs. They're the songs that the people of God would sing on their way to the city of God, to worship God. They were the songs that you would sing on the road. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you may have grown up in families that, you know, took a long road trip and sang songs in the car. That was certainly not my experience, but I imagine it was my wife's experience. Uh, We know, though, regardless, we know what road trip songs are like, right? A road trip needs a soundtrack, In the summer of 2001, I took a road trip with a couple of buddies of mine. We met up in Pennsylvania, and we drove to Seattle, Washington, and back. The trip was over 7,000 miles, and our van was so basic that it didn't have a CD player or even a cassette tape player. We we plugged a boombox into the cigarette lighter, and we used that boombox to play our music. So I remember a lot of things about that trip. I remember Mount Rushmore. I remember Yellowstone. I remember driving up the Pacific Coast Highway. I remember just the appalling stench in that vehicle. I remember how, how sick of each other we were at the end of that trip. Uh, but one thing that I remember just as clearly as all of that is the music. There is something about a road trip that says music, and there's something about music that can evoke a place and a memory. So five years after that road trip, one of my buddies got married. And I was at the ceremony, waiting in a chair like one of these for the ceremony to begin. And they were playing typical wedding music over the speakers. And then suddenly into that mix came on a song that we had played over and over as we had, you know, gone across the Midwest through the Rockies. And suddenly I was back there. I, it was 2001 again. And I was, it had evoked for me this memory of a road trip. That's what just that guitar lick took me back to the van trip and our trek across the country. Music has the power to connect us with a journey and a place. So when we listen to, when we hear the Psalms of Ascent, we are listening to a road song, a journey song, when we hear from this. But the Psalms, the Ascent was not just like a literal physical uphill climb. It's also a metaphor because these were people going somewhere. They were disciples. They were pilgrims. They identified as that, and they were journeying on their way to God. And the Psalms of Ascent and the climb to Jerusalem 
was the acting out of a life moving upwards towards God. This idea of life as a journey towards God, it's not just in the Psalms of Ascent. It's actually throughout the whole Bible. So the Apostle Paul writes about this in Philippians when he says, Brothers, I don't consider myself to have made it my own, but this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I press forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was on a climb. That metaphor is throughout the Bible. The, and the Bible is this incredible book with this vast array of literary forms. We've spent months in the book of Acts reading historical narrative. But what we're looking at today is a poetic song. So when you hear the psalm, I want you to feel the joy of setting out on a journey and also that thrill of the anticipation of arrival. Both those things are part of any good road trip, right? We're psyched to go, and we're so happy when we get there because both of these emotions are present in this song. So let's read this together. Psalm 122. Allison just read it. I want to get, read it again for us to, so that it will sink into our consciousness. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is firmly bound together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray and let's dig into this. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for each one here in this room and just the the story that they bring into this room and the things that they are under this week. We know that you meet us and feed us by the word and it is our privilege to read it and to hear it. Right now we need you to come by your spirit and to open up our hearts and our minds and give us an eagerness both to hear and to be moved. So I need you as I preach and we need you as we hear. I pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. There are three things that I want us to see in this text. And the first one is the gladness, the joy of arrival of these pilgrims. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So I hope you see right away in that, in that beginning, there's a change in tense. I was glad. That speaks to the anticipation. When my buddies came and said, let's go to the house of the Lord, I was glad at that idea. There was an anticipation of an event that was going to happen. And that transition to our feet have been, past tense, standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. In other words, when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord, I was excited. And now we're here. We're excited. So in my job as a pastor, I occasionally have the opportunity to sit with people who are explaining to me why they won't be coming to church. Often the conversation is why they won't be coming to this church, which leads into an obvious next question. 
okay, where will you be worshiping? And sometimes there's an answer. And often, sadly, there is not one. Or you get, you get the impression that answer is very low on the priority list if, it, if it's ever created. What's very hard in those conversations is the reality that I have no power to change anyone's mind. When you sit with someone in those conversations, there is a 95% chance that the train has already left the station. And you realize quickly, oh, it's, it's over. There are a myriad of reasons people have for not worshiping God. Some are weighty, and they delve really deep into sad stories related to the church. Some are shallow and are really only about personal preference. Some people really feel like the worship of God is something nice and advisable, but something that can hopefully be squeezed into a busy weekend. And sometimes, even for people who do regularly gather for worship with God's people, the opportunity to do that is seen more as a duty or a privilege than a delight. But this was not the case for the psalmist, and that is not the emotion that he's describing as the people of God journey to Jerusalem. And when I look at, the, uh, at this room, I think, you know, we're not forced to be here. I know there are probably a couple kids and a couple of reluctant spouses who are like, I disagree. Uh, but worship, worship is not compulsory. Uh, you're, nobody's taking attendance today. You will not be graded. Psalm 122 is the song of people who have decided to go to God's house and worship him. It is the song of people who experience a deep gladness at the thought of gathering with God's people. I know that many of us have a love for the city that we were born in or grew up in, whether that is here in greater Boston or elsewhere. But it would not compare to the joy that these pilgrims experienced when they traveled to Jerusalem. For them, that was the city of God. They longed to be there. If you ever want to be encouraged, let me suggest a conversation that is a lot more interesting than all the reasons that someone might list for why they choose not to worship God. Go sit with someone who has been beat up by life, who has experienced some suffering, Someone who has been on pilgrimage with Christ for a long time and hear why they worship. Hear their story. Because this is always what the people of God do. They gather together in a place that they have chosen and they go and they worship God. So most major religions in the world are geographically centered around the homeland in other words, where they originated, they're centralized around the place where that religion started, which is what you would expect. Um, Christianity is different in that its cultural diversity and geographic spread is phenomenal. If we could gather with the saints of God around the world, and some of you have done this at various points in your life, we would see vast diversity in terms of the places and the spaces where people gather. The physical spaces, the cultural forms of worship, would be incredibly diverse. But you will never find a legitimate Christian community where worship is not present. This is what the people of God do. 
they gather to worship. I was glad, glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There is gladness in going to God's house to worship him. Worship would have happened in an ongoing basis for these pilgrims, but the trip to Jerusalem was the pinnacle. It was the place where they could gather, the tribes could gather in the city of God to worship him. So that first feeling that they have is deep, deep gladness. There's a second emotion, a second feeling that's present here, and that one is unity. They feel the bonds of unity. This is poetic language again, but in verses three through five, they sing, Jerusalem, built as a city that is firmly bound together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So the psalmist is now transitioning from the gladness of the people of God to talk about the place itself. He says the city is firmly bound together. In other words, its physical shape makes sense. It's well-structured. There was a beauty and a coziness and a unity and a perfection about the architecture of this city. Jerusalem was a special place for the Israelites. We know what that feels like. You might have a place. It might even be your house. That when you are there, when you get inside, that place feels just right. So that could be a summer home. That could be a house. That could be a getaway. That could be something even you, maybe even not a house, something that you built but that you're proud of because it was just structured just right. For some people, that might even be like a classic vehicle. It's just perfect. When I thought, I read this and I thought about those concepts, beauty, coziness, architecture, and you guys all know where I'm going. I thought Fenway Park. That's where, like, that's what I think of. And when the psalm speaks about Jerusalem as being firmly bound together, he is commenting on the architecture, but he's also talking about the unity that the city creates. Because it's here in Jerusalem, this city that King David has made the capital, that the tribes go up. So if you were a Benjamite, you could go here to worship God. If you were of the tribe of Dan or of Gad or of Asher or of Naphtali or of Issachar, Jerusalem was your place too, and you went to worship God. So the 12 tribes of Israel, they inhabited distinct places. They were distinct people. They had distinct stories, but they would gather in this place, Jerusalem, to worship God. They traveled to a place that was architecturally beautiful, that was well set up, well designed, put together in harmony and unity. And that made sense because Jerusalem was a place of firm foundation. The real unity that the Israelites experienced was not their common love for the building or the place, although that was real. It was their shared worship of God. They were diverse people, but together they were going to worship the God who had called them. He had called them through the blessing of Abraham. He had delivered their people from Egypt. He had given them the law of Sinai. Their unity was spiritual. It was a shared worship of God together based on a shared heritage, based on a shared history. God had acted for them in history. And then they got to be pulled out of their own individual orbit and pulled up into the story of God as they worshiped him. That's true for us. The worship of God is our foundation 
It's really what frames our lives. It's the bedrock of reality. It is in the worship of God, gathered with his people, that we know who God is, who we are, where we stand. And it's from this place that we go from here to our work. In other words, when I am called to worship, I see God in all of his holiness. I see that I am a sinner deeply in need of grace. And I confess my sin. I see that God in his provision has made merciful provision and atonement for me through the cross, through his son, Jesus. And I see that in Jesus, I have new life and forgiveness of sins. And now I go from here free and forgiven. And my life is lived in glad response to the grace that I've received. And I leave this place free and energized, animated by the grace of God. Sometimes people come in here and they comment about how they love the architecture of the building because they kind of love that nostalgic, traditional New England church building feel that this building has. Great. That's great. We're privileged to have a beautiful space. We really are. But the real source of our unity is that we are made one body through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The church is a unifying place where people from different human tribes and experiences come together and are made one because of the cross. One people because of the cross. So the pilgrims have a gladness as they worship God. They have a unity as they worship God. And the third thing that I want us to see is they have a vision of peace as they worship God. Third thing, a vision of peace. Verses 6 through 9. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your borders. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So what is the nature of the peace that the psalmist refers to three times? He's urging his listeners to pray for the peace and the security of Jerusalem. He is wishing peace on his brothers and on his companions. And then finally, he's saying, I myself will work for peace. Peace is not merely a sentiment to wish for. It's also something to hope in and something to work for. So what does that mean? What does it mean to say, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I was thinking about that verse and it brought, it triggered a memory for me. A couple of years ago, 2014, I believe, we, and I mean the church, Seven Mile Road, was just meeting Clint and Andy Patronella. We were down in Dallas for a national conference, and we were trying to get to know these guys and explore their desire to church plant with us. So during the course of that time, Clint and Andy had us over to their house. And for me, and I think for our whole team that was down there, that was the night that became the tipping point where it became obvious. These guys are perfect and we're doing this. This was God's gift to Seven Mile Road. That became incredibly clear. And we have to do everything in our power to see this church plant become a reality. So that night we shared a great meal around their table. We read the Bible together. We did the bedtime routine with Haddon and Brighton and Everett. We prayed together with Clint and Andy. And we didn't use these words 
but nothing could describe the prevailing sentiment coming out of that night better than the psalmist's words. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. In other words, whatever you need to do this, anything that we can do to help, anything that we could do to make this happen, anything that we could do for your good, we're here for that. Let's do that. That vision for peace that these pilgrims have is not just some sort of nostalgic concept. It's a challenge to us. Are we invested in the house of the Lord, the worship of the triune God? Do we believe in the goodness of God's government, the honor of his name, the importance of right worship, the unity of the people of God? Peace is something we pray for, something we work for. And really, worship, there's something deeper here than just even that piece. Worship is a rehearsal for our future. This psalm points forward. It gives us a vision for peace even beyond our own lives. So I want to conclude with three points of application that come out of this text. So we talked about gladness as our emotion. We talked about unity as something that we feel. We talked about a vision of peace that should encompass the church. And I want to make three very simple points of application. One, do we have an eagerness for worship? So we too are people who are journeying to the house of God. We gather weekly together for the word for sacrament with one another to be rooted and reminded in foundational realities that God creates us. God has provided for us. God sustains us. We need the gospel preached to us every week. We need the Lord's Supper because it's in our struggle and in our ongoing battle against unbelief that we need to partake in these things. I'm not self-sufficient with just a general shot of advice or inspiration. I am someone who deals with unbelief in an ongoing way. I need the gospel preached to me. I need to gather with the saints. I need to be pulled out of my own orbit and rooted in the story of God. And Christian worship is gathering with God's people to hear the good news, to receive the grace of God through word and sacrament. It's something that forms us spiritually. So is your heart eager to worship God? Can you say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord our God. There should be a gladness that accompanies that it, us as we go to the house of God to worship. Second question that leads to the second point of application. Am I invested in the prosperity of the church? Am I invested? So think about, there are some places you love. There are some places you hate. There are some places you are totally indifferent to. The places that you love are invested with memory and emotion. So now think about this church. And I don't mean the physical building because beyond place is people. Does your life show a love for the family of God, a willingness to seek the good of the people of God? What is the fundamental disposition of our hearts towards the people of God? This psalm is a challenge to us. Do we seek the unity and the peace and the good of God's people? 
Third and finally, our worship here on earth should give us a hope for the future. The, th the third point of application is really, or the third thing that you should feel, you should feel an eagerness, you should feel an investment, but even beyond that, we are blessed with a hope, a vision of the future. Our worship here on earth and our love for one another is really a rehearsal for the future that this psalm envisions. We are citizens of another home. The ancient city was wonderful. It was a gift from God. It was to be loved and cherished. The temple and temple worship was something beautiful, but God has given us something better. God has given us something better in Jesus Christ. And prophetically, Psalm 122 directs our thinking to not nostalgia for the old Jerusalem and old ways of worship, but the new Jerusalem of which the earthly city of Jerusalem and really our gathering now is but an incomplete type. We have a hope in a city that is to come, a glorious city where Christ will reign, where peace will reign, where he is king. When John talks about that in the book of Revelation, again, this language is so poetic, it's hard for us even to conceptualize. John said, he talked of his revelation and he said, I was carried away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And it was shown to me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. So on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. John's looking forward prophetically to the new Jerusalem. It's poetic language, but if we're in Christ, it's a foretaste of the city to come. We are citizens of that city. And we practice through the midst of our unbelief, through the midst of our battle against sin and doubt, through our trials in a fallen world and with the world, the flesh and the devil, we practice our citizenship for that city with our eagerness to worship, with hearts that are grateful to God for all that he's provided, with an eagerness to seek the good of the church. And we have a hope no matter what happens. We are citizens of the city to come. We are pilgrims who know that God is with us. God sustains us. God provides for us. He is able to keep us from falling. We are on the way to worship him. And we are on the way to a worship of God that will be more glorious, more real, more tangible than what we can experience right now. So the call today is really to practice your citizenship in heaven and hope in the city that is to come. Would you pray with me? Father, we are deeply, deeply in need of you. And we feel that when we gather, we need your spirit to sustain us. We need your spirit to point us to Christ and the provision that has been made for us. So we rejoice in the hope that we have today. Thank you that you are able to keep us from stumbling. You are able to present us blameless before your presence with great joy. We give you praise for that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.